0: It's that time again, it's ASGCA Insights, the official podcast of the American Society of Golf Course Architects. And now from our studios in beautiful Brooklyn, Wisconsin, it's your host, Mark Whitney.
1: Welcome to ASGCA Insights. My guest today is Hunky Yoon from the United States Golf Association. Hunky joined USGA in 2011 and has a long relationship with the game of golf, previously working at noted industry publications, including Golf Digest, Golf Magazine, and Lynx Magazine. Hunky, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you, Mark. I really appreciate being on to share uh, some good conversation with you.
1: Uh, Hunky, the, the USGA website lists your full title as Director, Partnerships, Outreach, and Education, USGA Research, science and innovation. So my first question is very simple. What is it that you do for a living?
0: Well, actually, uh, the website is a little bit outdated because about a month ago, I had a title change. So my new title, it's hopefully easier to understand, is Director of Business Development for the USGA's Green Section.
1: Okay, so what do you do for a living?
0: (laughs) So I try to help um, our uh, consultant agronomists, our education, our tools, to reach more courses so that we can expand our services and help more golf courses for the benefit of the golf industry. So we obviously do a lot of different things. We do spend almost $2 million a year in research. We wanna make sure that money um, gets the most impact and and, and reaches the most people. We have the green section record, which is uh, a bi-weekly newsletter that we send out. We wanna make sure more people have access to it and learn from it. Uh, We have a facility app that we have developed We want to uh, make sure that more courses subscribe and and use the information and the data to make better decisions. And finally, we have our consulting service. We have a number of 10, 11 consultants around the country that visit golf courses. We want to help them to reach more courses, visit more courses, so they can help more more golf courses to save money and provide a better experience for their uh, golfers.
1: So when you you Mentioned research there a couple of times in the folks of what you do um, and everybody who's listening to this. Uh, we've all taken surveys. We've all responded to public opinion polls or you know answered questions on, on the phone. Uh, but the research that's being conducted by USGA certainly goes far beyond so, something like that. So I want to ask you as we go along here about a couple of specific projects that that that, uh, that you've been heading up. Uh, but first, I want you to talk a little bit, please, about the working relationship that you've developed and and, and enhanced in recent years with the folks at the University of Minnesota.
0: Sure. So as, as I mentioned previously, we we uh, uh, spend nearly two million dollars a year on on research, and the research can take a lot of different forms. And most of the research is conducted by Large land grant universities around the world, uh, around the country, and some are some are worldwide as well. Um, a lot of it is devoted to turf grass research, developing turf grass cultivars that are more drought resistant or heat resistant or require fewer inputs, all to the for the purpose of providing um, courses with grasses that are easier to maintain, cost less, but yet provide good playing conditions, which are very important for golfers. Uh, we wanted to uh, have a, a relationship with the University of Minnesota because they were able to bring a lot of different assets. Uh, in addition to turf grass research, they have a great landscape and ag- agronomy department, their business school, for example, to provide some uh, market research, their uh, school uh, department of education to be able to, to help us better reach uh, golfers and courses with information that, that helps them to take that information and use it in their their work so that we have a greater impact in in what we do. So with all these different assets, it made sense to have a long-term agreement with the University of Minnesota to explore different ways of furthering our research to have a greater impact on the golf industry.
1: And one of those research projects that your team's been focused on is is trying to to measure uh, how golf courses are positively impacting their community. Uh, so what have you learned in this area with, with the folks from from Minnesota? And why is it so important to get this information for the overall health of the industry?
0: Yes, yeah, so I, I would say that uh, the, the work is ongoing. We, we started the work in 2017, uh, and it started uh, in the University of Minnesota's backyard, which is the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, uh, which was to study uh, golf courses and compare them to uh, other land uses in, in major urban areas, uh, parks, uh, apartment buildings, retail, uh, office spaces, et cetera, to determine what their impact to the community would be based on environmental concerns, uh, whether they st- storm water uh, retention or runoff, or are they are they good at, at uh, deflecting some of the heat, the, the island heat island effect that that's, uh, makes cities hotter than, than rural or suburban areas. Um, the real estate values and all all sorts of factors. And I would say that uh, we're still in the middle of it. So we want to give the researchers a chance to uh, publish and to uh, have the work uh, reviewed by their peers, which is part of any rigorous uh, academic research project. And and after we do that, we want to expand it to see whether the model works in other areas. So we've we've identified five other cities around the country, uh, some of the biggest cities in the country to see if we can apply the same learnings to develop uh, a model so that uh, the golf industry can really demonstrate that golf is a valuable part of a local community. And that's important for a number of reasons. Uh, one of the biggest issues that golf, the golf industry has is its perception to, to non-golfers and to community leaders and to uh, uh, municipalities who have a lot of uh, pressures on what do you do with space. Uh, space. Housing, housing is a big issue for a lot of areas. Green space is a big issue. And if golf can be part of that conversation and demonstrate that it is a valuable part of a local ecosystem, it elevates uh, the golf industry's position and, and, and it puts golf courses more valuable than just a place for golfers to play. Um, in addition, a lot of municipal, municipally owned and operated golf courses are, are facing pressures to, um, uh, to 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 help the bottom line of the. Uh, the municipality? Uh, Are are golf courses seen as businesses that need to provide uh, money back to the city? Or are are they more like parks, which people don't expect parks to create revenue, but uh, cities support them because they are an important part of the landscape. So if we can uh, demonstrate the value of golf courses more than just a business or a a revenue generating stream, then there'll be more, uh, it'll be easier to to, to help the, the municipalities understand that golf provides a value far more than what it seems on the surface.
1: As we've talked about here uh, with ASGCA and talked about here on the insights podcast here in the past, uh, sort of the three legs of the stool here on the value of the golf course, the economic side, the social side, as well as the environmental side. It uh, sounds like a number of the same areas that, that you're looking at here.
0: Absolutely. And I think what we are seeing currently uh, in, in in the weeks after uh, social distancing and, and people staying at home as golf courses have been opening up around the country is the value of a place for people to gather, especially at golf courses, to be able to exercise, to spend time with, with family and friends for the, the, the emotional benefits, the, the ability to decompress. And I think that we, we are seeing that currently and hopefully some of this, um, these benefits can be conveyed to the larger world.
1: And since you mentioned that, so to, to branch off here for a moment, uh, when you look at some of the the things that literally we've seen on the course, and that we've heard in, in various reports of uh, more families playing, more more couples playing, multi generation playing, uh, uh, the folks playing from various tees, the, the, the things of that nature, just simply to get out and to get out and to walk and to get out and, and walk a course. Um, it, some of the, the, the studying and the research that you've done uh, is sort of coming to life here, uh, whether you sort of intended it to or not.
0: Correct. Uh, and I think what, what anecdotally, what we're seeing and hearing is that the experience is better. The golfer experience, which we uh, have devoted some time and resources to studying as well. And one of the key components of golfer experience is pace of play. Um, and what we're hearing anecdotally is that because of Smaller groups, uh, some, some courses have said no more than one or two people per group or uh, one a person per cart. Uh, others have ex- uh, increased their tee time intervals from eight or nine minutes to what, what uh, in some cases, 14, 15 minutes. And, and that has a very positive impact on pace of play. It enables golfers to flow better. And we've heard that round times are down. We've heard that there's less waiting on the golf course. Um, so what, one of the things we'd like to do over the next couple of months is to actually gather the data about round times, about weights, about hold times, and, and to see what, what the impact of these some of these unintended consequences have had on pace of play and whether that actually translates into an improved satisfaction or a better experience for golfers. Because uh, even though it's not something that we or the golf industry has set out to do, if that's one of the positive side effects, we can take some of those lessons and apply them moving ahead to a uh, model for golf in the future or whatever that may be
1: you know, I was thinking to ask you about pace of play before we started, and uh, I was thinking, you know, we, we've all played with the golfer who who stands over a putt a little too long, or or the golfer who could probably play their next shot from 250 yards out but is waiting for the green to clear. Uh, and, of course, Hunky, I'm talking about examples of other golfers, nothing that you or I would ever of course, do. Of course,
0: of <laughs> course. I, 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 I'd love to play with you one day and, and examine your playing habits.
1: <laughs> ready golf, that's what it's all about, right? Yes. Especially as often as I tend to hit it, might as well be ready and go. Uh, but that, that measurement as best you can on pace of play. And, and I think the, the point that you made that, that I haven't heard a lot of, uh, is the correlation between pace of play and player experience and and whether, uh, whether the average person makes that connection as they leave a golf facility. Uh, the, the truth is those two points are really related, aren't they?
0: Correct. And I think what, what, what we're learning from experience is that people Um, judge their satisfaction and their experience. It's a lot of it is an emotional factor. So let's say you play golf for four and a half round, four and a half, I'm sorry, four and a half hours during your round. And for most of that, you're doing what I, what we call sort of golf activities. You're hitting the ball or you're waiting for other people to hit the ball, however long that takes, or you're moving from, from shot to shot. Um, when you have a disruption to that flow, which is you're waiting on a tee for the fairway to clear or you're waiting on the fairway for the green to clear, uh, those weights become very frustrating and, and really have an outsize effect on the satisfaction. Um, and, and, and what we realized is that those, a lot of those delays are, so sure there's some, some human element to it, there are some golfers that are that are slower, but overall from a systemic standpoint, the golf course has a lot to be able to do with it. Let's start with tea time interval, which we're studying, but there are also factors such as course design, which your members have a really um, uh, it's just their sole responsibility, and we've talked to some architects about how potential design factors can can influence pace. There are some maintenance factors, green speeds or um, uh, other other factors that can influence that flow. And so, when when we look at experience, the, the that experience of how someone spends their time on the golf course is something we really have took, taken a lot of time to look at, and hopefully others uh, can can uh, benefit from that and, and take a look at that at their own golf.
1: My guess is Hunky Yoon from the USGA. Uh, Hunky, 2020 marks the 100th anniversary of the creation of the USGA Green Section. Uh, we all know a little about the Green Section and its commitment to to better playing conditions and things of that nature. Uh, but what is the Green Section all about? And what, what is its mission today compared to uh, over past decades?
0: Well, I would say the mission really hasn't changed all that much. From the start, uh, the Green Section, which was started in 1920, was to provide a very science-based, uh, very practical information about maintaining golf courses, to be able to provide better playing conditions, and also for environmental sustainability and, and cost. Um, we, we still do a lot of that. Uh, we, research we, was, has, has been at the foundation, we still devote a lot of money to research, but we expanded it to uh, visiting golf courses, providing the education, and to providing tools and technology to, to really help courses to be able to uh, fine tune their, their maintenance um, to provide things like better pace of play or uh, prioritize their resources. So, I, I think another thing we've seen this year, which is unfortunate that we're celebrating our 100th anniversary during a time of extraordinary uh, challenges for golf courses, especially for maintenance, because of. Uh, of whether budgets or social distancing, uh, a lot of courses have had to maintain courses with uh, smaller staffs than normally. Uh, and so, what we've done is help them to try to prioritize and say, "Okay, focus on the greens, focus on on certain parts of the fairway. Let's not so, worry so much about mowing the rough as many times as you normally would." Um, so, those are sort of the practical solutions a- and benefits that we can provide for golf courses. And, and I feel like that hasn't changed over the last hundred years. It's just the uh, the, our reach of, of trying to get more courses to benefit is is one of the biggest chal- uh, challenges and one of our biggest priorities.
1: And you've mentioned the relationship with with USGA and the role that the, uh, uh, that architects play in some of the work that, that you've done along the way. That that relationship between architects and green section and the work that's done there, that, that, that can be pretty tight sometimes, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. I, I think as a course contemplates a change or, or you have a new course that's being developed, um the architects are 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 sort of um creating the grounds on which that grass is is being uh, cultivated and grown. And in the in the our consultants that they're the experts at that. They can work with a architect to say, well, that type of grass would not work here, or we need to have irrigation or drainage here. So I think they're very complementary and a course would be very well served to make sure that both the architect and, and the agronomist consultant. Uh, have their uh, input to be able to make the best decisions
1: and finally, before I let you go, hunky you mentioned it at the start the, uh, uh, the your background uh, in the industry and working with golf digest and golf magazine uh, a little different side of the fence here over the past decade from what you what you've done previously in terms of uh, in terms of the representation huh
0: I, I would say a little bit i, I start I've, I've, it, as far as my my work experience, I've done a lot of different types of uh, communication and writing, uh, as far reaching golfers or or are trying to help golfers with with re- getting rid of their slice or writing about uh, the newest resorts, which is a lot of fun. But at the end of the day, uh, what we're all trying to do is have an influence on on other people. Right now, uh, you know, my my skills in communication and in reaching people uh, to be able to help them to understand what we do and, and to make decisions, and ultimately. It's uh, for golfers in my past life, it was how, how can they enjoy the game better? But for now, with, with golf course managers, with superintendents, it's help them understand that we're here to to help them support their business. They're they're small business owners. They, they have a lot of demands on their time and anything we can do to make their lives easier, what uh, we'd like to be able to do.
1: So it comes back to simply being a storyteller, doesn't it?
0: Yes, it's, it, is, it, is, it is true, if you've, and it's a good skill for a lot of people to have and, and certainly served me well in my life, and I'm very fortunate to be here to be able to do stuff, something that I love, and to be able to help a game and, and to ho- hopefully make an impact in a game that's sort of held my attention for, for decades.
1: My guest has been Hunky Yoon, research guru for the United States Golf Association. Hunky, thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you, Mark. I'll speak to you again soon.
1: That concludes this episode of ASGCA Insights. I'm Mark Whitney. You can find past episodes of this podcast and more information at ASGCA.org. Thank you for listening. And until next time, so long.